Good morning, everybody. My name is Tim Porter, one of the pastors here at Faith Community. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. And uh, online, thank you for joining us in this way as well. Um, I mentioned this in the last service, and that last song we just sang is probably one of my favorite songs. Deej, let's sing it at my funeral, uh, Lord willing, in like 50 years, something like that. Uh, But uh, it still just kept, yeah, I don't know. That's the God that walks with you. Um, Remember who he is. That's the God who walks with you. Anyway, um, sorry, I'm just still, I'm still there. Let me catch up. I'm preaching a sermon this morning and uh, I need to have something coherent to say. Uh, we are in a series that called The Dungeon and this is the story of a man named Joseph who experienced all kinds of difficulties and setbacks and injustices and he is in one hand a model for the human experience where we don't know what's going to happen to us every day that we're alive. And Joseph was somebody who walked with God. And this week I've just been praying through, okay, um, God, what, what is it? What's one of the chief things that you want us to be learning about and how to live? And what do you want us to take away from this series? And one of the phrases, one of the words that I think God has for us as we go through the book of Genesis and Joseph's story is the word resilience. Now, I know that the word resilience, maybe you're going to roll your eyes because the word resilience has taken on a significant prominence in our culture, especially in the last few years. But resilience is this ability to successfully emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually adapt to difficulties and challenges that we face in life. And Joseph goes through significant difficulties and challenges in life, and he is resilient. Now, I think it's great that our culture, especially in the West, is talking a lot about resilience because we we need it. We live in a broken world, and we are broken people, and we don't know what's going to happen the rest of this day. It could be dramatically life-altering. And we need resilience. But our culture, if you've noticed, if you're really pressed, that our, when our culture talks about gaining resilience or experiencing resilience, it doesn't have any hope. It talks about something that it can't give. I mean, what kind of hope and promise do you have for today when everything happens by chance and you die and there's nothing afterward? But the Bible has some real hope and some real power for patient endurance. Pastor Tim talked about this last week. That when we, when we start to rest in and learn more and act out the doctrine of the providence of God, we will experience patient hope. Be people who are experiencing patient hope. That's what Joseph does. I think God wants to give to us resilience. And it comes in relationship with him and experiencing God in two ways in this passage. The God, the one who brings the day. The one who brings the day. I'll unpack that a little bit more. The one who brings the day and the one who is in us. Where do we get our resilience from? It's from the one who brings the day and the one who is in us. 
We're reading today from Genesis and Genesis 41 verses 25 through 45. And it's found on pages 34 and 35 in the Bibles in front of you. We'll have it on the screen as well. And uh, you can also open up your own Bibles. It's good to have them. We'll be digging back into the passage here and there. But Genesis 41, verses 25 through 45. It's a little bit of an overlap from last week, but just a tap into the story. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. That is, they're talking about the same thing. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring and from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus has he set set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, Zaphonath-Paneah. And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back sometime in early 2020, I believe, my wife discovered a band, a Christian band called We the Kingdom, and we have been enjoying their music ever since. And last 
uh, last month, uh, they released a new album. They released a new album, and they had a listening party. They, they came up north. They're from down south and had never toured above the Mason-Dixon line before. And they came up to Northwestern University, where my son happens to be in school there, and we got tickets to do this album release party. And one of the new songs on their album is called Miracle Power. And they tell who this song is about, who this song is for in the beginning of the song. They say this, they sing this. This is for the lost and the lonely, for the broken and afraid. This is for those who are hurting, hoping help is on the way. In these battles of addiction, when fear is chasing me, whatever trouble I am facing, and it goes on. So you get the story that this is for us when we're in the midst of difficulty. And a refrain comes back, and it's caught my attention, and it's a bit of an earworm. It keeps going on in a good way in my head. It goes like this. I may not know what a day may bring, but I know who brings the day. On the darkest night when I cannot see, still my soul will say. I may not know what a day may bring, but I know who brings the day. On the darkest night when I cannot see, still my soul will sing. It's amazing what a day can bring. A man named Joe, who's a friend of mine, not Joseph, though it's ironic, his name is Joe, says to me often when he hears about the different tragedies going on, it's amazing what can happen in a day. Joseph's life in one way can be described as a long period of waiting. We're starting to see things that take 13 years to unfold, and yet Joseph's life is dramatically changed by three significant days so far. Dramatically changed by three significant days so far. God is both patient and long-suffering, and he also does dramatic turn events in just a short, small, 24-hour period of time. Joseph, when he was 17, started to have these dreams about his family bowing down to him. His dad sends him out into um, the wilderness to find his sons and to see how the flocks are doing, the flock or sheep are doing. In a day, Joseph had no idea he was waking up to this. He'd stay in bed. In a day, his brothers strip him naked, throw him in a pit, he barely escapes death, and they traffic him to Egypt. In a day, after years of faithful service in Potiphar's household, Potiphar's, as far as power goes, one of the second in command in Egypt, Joseph rises to such a way that he has all the authority except for being the head of the household and not being married with to Pharaoh's wife. And in a day, one day, when Joseph goes to work, everybody else is from the house is out and about doing things. And Pharaoh's wife, who's been making advances on him, commands him to sleep with her, and he says no. And in a day, false charges brought against him, and he's in prison. In a day. It's amazing what can happen in a day. Now, in the story, we're starting to see a restoration take place. 
There'll still be some difficulties along the way. There's going to be reconciliation. There's still a lot of tears that's going to happen in the story of Joseph. But we're starting to see a a restoration take place. And it all happens in a day. Joseph is in prison. He's doing what he usually does in prison. And he has no idea that Pharaoh's having these dreams in the palace and that Pharaoh's wisest men and magicians and even Pharaoh himself doesn't understand the dream, which is pretty amazing for a Pharaoh to say because we need to remember that Pharaohs thought that they were divine, that they were little gods among many. And so the fact that Pharaoh can't understand his dream of seven cows and another seven cows and he has no idea what this is talking about acknowledges that God is up to something here. And all of a sudden, somebody who knew Joseph in prison says, hey, I know this guy, Pharaoh. This cupbearer tells Pharaoh, I know this guy. He will be honest with you and tell you exactly what the dream is because I know he told me a favorable dream, interpretation of a favorable dream, and he told a friend of mine an unfavorable dream. He's going to tell you the truth of what this dream means. And in an act that must have been totally disgusting to Joseph, he had to shave his beard and get ready. Sorry, that was a joke. And shave his beard and get ready to go meet Pharaoh. And go meet Pharaoh. In a day. Joseph is faithful. He tells Pharaoh, this is what the dream means. You're going to have seven years of plenty. The land is going to be filled with all kinds of food. And then seven years are going to come and the famine's going to be totally severe. But you need to know, Pharaoh, that God is for you in this. He's after your well-being. This is why he's telling you the dream. He loves you. But this is what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need to find somebody. You need to find somebody who can manage this whole campaign of getting ready for the seven years of famine. And it's going to take a 20% tax hike. And bigger government. So all my conservative friends and libertarians are like, yeah, that sounds like a plan from the Lord. But that's what it's going to take to get ready for the famine. And Pharaoh can't find anybody, anybody among his magicians, his wise men, his counselors, nobody who could be the kind of person that could lead this. And in a day... Joseph goes from jail to hearing this from Pharaoh, verse 39. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, and there is none so discerning and wise as you are, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then the Pharaoh, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it in Joseph's hand, and clothed him with garments of fine linen. There's that clothing theme again. And put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called his name Zephaniah, Paneah. And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, and the daughter of, who's the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. In just one day. Joseph's life is completely turned around. Pharaoh restores his dignity. 
every other time when a cloak is mentioned in Joseph's life, it's taken from him, used against him. Now he's clothed, he's given honor, he's given riches, he's given authority, he's given a new name, he's connected to the most powerful priestly family in Egypt at that day, he's given a wife, everything is beginning to be restored to him. God is keeping his promises. We may not know what the day may hold, but do you know who brings the day? Do you really know him? Who orders and orchestrates the day? God made promises to Joseph and he's been keeping those promises the whole time for 13 years of downward, downward trend. And now we're starting to get a glimpse of the restoration. It must have been both emboldening and ironic for Joseph to be able to say to Pharaoh this line about the dreams of seven cows followed by seven cows. He said, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Joseph had two dreams. And Joseph knows that those two dreams will come to pass. God promised him. And he's been living with that confidence ever since. And now we're seeing a glimpse. There's still more restoration to come. There's still more reconciliation to come. We're starting to see a glimpse of what restoration looks like for Joseph. Now I want to say something important to help us avoid a great deal of heartache. A great deal of heartache. Because it would be easy to start to look at this story and other stories in the Old Testament and other stories of even Jesus healing people in this kind of way. Just like God restored Joseph, and if you've lost all kinds of things, you can know, you can be confident that God will restore everything that you lost as well in this life. That's dangerous. That's a road to heartache because God may do that. God may restore everything that you've lost in this life, but he also may not. He doesn't promise to in this life. A really important principle in reading the Bible is that the stories of restoration one being Joseph, which already mentioned the other one with Job. Job loses everything except for his wife who's telling him, curse God and die. And then everything is restored back to Job at the end. These stories of restoration, Naomi and Ruth, they are in famine in the, and they, they go back into the land in the midst of famine and then at the end there's all kinds of restoration for them. Family restoration, wealth restoration, all these things. These stories of loss and restoration are not to build our confidence and give us false hope that everything we lose in this life will be returned to us in this life. That's not the point. 
Their point is to say that a day is coming for every person who belongs to Jesus, that these little restorations are but a glimpse, but a small glimpse of the full and final restoration that Jesus will bring when he returns. And that's where we land our greatest hope is that one day, one day, Jesus who brings the day is gonna bring a day where every tear is wiped from our eyes, where every wrong is righted, where everything is finally put back right. That's the big hope. That's the big audacious hope that is more real than any other hope that you and I can have, but it's hard to see. That's the day that's coming. And that's the God who brings the day. The one who loves us. The one who will right every wrong. The one who will wipe away every tear. The one who, though we die and our bodies decay, he will breathe new life into these very bodies. That's where it's going. That's where we get real resilience from. A day is coming, and God brings that day, and nothing can stand against it, and nothing can stop it. He has fixed it, and we are every day drawing closer to that day. He's the one who brings it. This means, one of the things that Tim has been emphasizing these last couple weeks is what that means is everything that happens to us has meaning and matters. And everything wrong will be righted when he returns. When he returns. God has a dream for you. And it's one day to restore everything that might be lost in this life. When he comes. Now that's part of, that's part of the ability to experience resilience and to grow in resilience is that we need hope. We need some kind of hope that's fixed. But the other comes in knowing and experiencing and having a relationship with a God who is in us, who is in us. Now, Pharaoh knew that he needed somebody to be able to lead this whole campaign, and he knew that there was nobody else that could do it. He asked a very important question, and if we're just reading along, we might, we might just gloss over this question, but this is a massively huge question, and it helps us understand a little bit about how Joseph was able to endure all the difficulties he's been through. Here's the question, verse 37, 38. This proposal from Joseph pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And then Pharaoh, not finding anybody except for Joseph, says to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, 
And there is none so discerning as wise as you are. Then therefore, and this is what I'm going to do. Joseph has the spirit of God. The spirit of the living God is living in Joseph. This is the secret to his resilience, to his ability to endure and successfully adapt to all these different changes and all these difficulties, all these sufferings, all these injustices that have come to him because he has the spirit of God. Now, if you're new to reading the Bible, what's really important here is that this phrase, the spirit of God, is talking about God, God being moving and working and animating and giving life. And we've not seen this phrase, the spirit of God, since Genesis chapter 1. It hasn't shown up at all, this phrase, spirit of God. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we read about how God is creating the world and there's darkness over the face of the deep and there's chaos and all this kind of stuff and uh, the Spirit of God is hovering. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Why was Joseph able to interpret dreams? Why was Joseph, why was Joseph able to help other people flourish around him? Why did people look at Joseph and say, there's something about you that's utterly distinct? Why was Joseph able to have the integrity that he had that when he was given, when his Potiphar's wife made advances on him and even commanded him to sleep with her, he took off. Why did he do all those things? It's not because there's some kind of character that he has that's really good, implicit in himself. It's because God, was in him and that makes all the difference in the world Christianity is not about being a moral person Christianity is about relationship with a God who takes up residence in the very core of your being he climbs into you This starts to shed light on some of the statements that we've seen so far. Whenever Joseph went into a deeper pit, there was a phrase that was there about the Lord. Genesis 39, 2, the Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Genesis 39, 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Genesis 39, 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, when I, was re- when I read through those verses without taking into account what Pharaoh says, and we don't know fully of what all Pharaoh understood about the spirit of God and what he was actually asking. He may have been asking far better than what he actually realized he was asking about because Pharaoh, again, he's a God in his own mind and in the theology of the Egyptians, he's a God. But in the theology of Genesis and the theology of the Bible, the storyline of the Bible, Pharaoh's asking, who has the spirit of God, the spirit of the living God in their being. 
Before looking at this phrase and asking that question, I would read the sentences about the Lord being with Pharaoh and sort of think like, okay, the Lord is with Pharaoh, or the Lord is with Joseph. You know, maybe he's alongside of him and he's, you know, he's helping him succeed and that's really good and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, maybe the Lord is with him and he's got some favor on him. Yeah, 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 that's good too. That is really good. But when you read this question, it starts to shed light on all these other statements. It's not simply that the Lord was maybe next to him or alongside of him. It wasn't just simply that the Lord was working through all these different circumstances to show him favor. It's that God took up residence in Joseph's heart, deep in the core of the core of his being. This is why Joseph was able to flourish This is where Joseph drew his resilience from the Spirit of God in him. Now in the Old Testament, another little lesson here on how to read the Bible. Uh, The Bible is divided into two big parts. The Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. And the Old Testament is a lot longer and bigger and has a lot more stories than the New Testament does. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God doesn't show up that much. He's not there prominent on the pages of the text. Like I said, in Genesis, he just shows up twice in Genesis 1 and then Genesis here in this passage in 41. And the Spirit of God in the Old Testament would come upon people at times and he would give them the ability to do great things. You think of Samson, if you know him, or give him great strength, or King Saul, and he was able to have great boldness and go in to do, win all kinds of battles. And then you also have the Spirit of God coming upon uh, artisans and craftsmen to be able to uh, design the temple and those types of things. And the Spirit of God descends in the temple. Uh, we read about that in the Old Testament. But the Spirit of God is just here and there. It doesn't dwell everybody equally at the same time in the same place. We get glimpses of what the power of the Spirit is like in the Old Testament. But then when Jesus shows up, Jesus makes this strong, powerful, audacious comment to his followers. He says, I will, be, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, the spirit of God. I'm going to ask my Father. I'm going to leave. I'm going to ask my Father. I'm going to send somebody else, and that somebody else is the spirit of God, and he's going to dwell in you forever, never to be taken away. Never to be taken away. The Apostle Paul, banking on that promise and experiencing that reality of having the Spirit of God in him, says to the Ephesian Christians, those first followers of Jesus, it says, in him, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, the moment you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And the inheritance is the day that's coming. So the moment that you and I believe in Jesus, we say yes to him. Something cataclysmic and cosmic and miraculous has happened to us. It's not just an act of the will. It's actually that we get inhabited by the Holy Spirit in us the moment that we believe. A couple weeks ago, Tim Prince talked about how we don't have to try to read providence. Remember that? 
have to try to read providence and try to figure out what's going on. What's the market going to do today and I can figure this out, blah, 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 blah. We don't have to do that. Why do we not have to do that? Because God has put his spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit will lead you. Holy Spirit will guide you. He will direct you. He will empower you. He will give you the decisions you need to make. God has not left us alone. Jesus has not left us on us own, on our own. He is with us in you, in Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you experience him that way? Now this also gives great hope no matter what pits we may come into in life. Because again, that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Every time life got worse for Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And what that means is that it's not simply that as we go through difficulties that you know, God's in control, which is true. That God is working all things together for good, which is true. It's also that God is in there with us because he's in us. We're never, ever alone, though no one may be around. So right now, if you're going through a divorce that you tried everything, that you absolutely tried everything to stop, and right now you don't know where you're gonna get strength from, and you belong to Jesus, God's spirit is with you. He's in you. He knows all your concerns. He knows all your doubts. He knows all your pain. He knows all your frustrations. Because he's right there with you, in you. For right now, the pressures of work have grown significantly because of economic instability and you are experiencing levels of anxiety that you have never, ever, ever experienced before. The Spirit of God is in you, with you. He knows the pressure, not because he views it from the outside only. He experiences it with you on the inside, with you. The Lord is with you. Right now, you've started your freshman year with all kinds of great hopes, whether it be high school or college, with all kinds of great hopes. And going through all the pandemic and all the different procedures to try to mitigate all the different things, your friend group has been torn apart and all that kind of stuff. You feel alone. Jesus promises the Spirit of God is in you, with you, to guide you, to comfort you, to strengthen you, to help you make really good decisions that honor him and help others around you. It's the promise. In another spot in one of the letters of Paul, he writes this about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit in us is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is Joseph. 
loving those around him, peaceful, patient, kind, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Patience is long-suffering. That's the word. It's Joseph. He had the spirit. And this is the kind of people we can be too with the spirit. We can also be the kind of people that are able to be bold about who God is. Just as Joseph was able to bring, this is what God says, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I know that you think you're a God. This is dangerous for Joseph to be saying these types of things. I know that you think you're a God, Pharaoh, but this is what God says. And and Pharaoh starts to change. can be that kind of a person because we've got that kind of a God who takes up his home in you and me. Mid-2020, I started to read a book by a woman named Becky Pippert called Stay Salt. And it's about how to share Jesus and how to keep in step with the Spirit to see what the Spirit's doing around you. And one of our values here as a church is that we're, we are really excited about you know, God's presence with people, that he's in us and that he is also working around us. This is a great time to be alive because of what God is doing. And Becky Pippert talked about um, a practice, a prayerful practice that she had been taught and that had been helpful for her to experience resilience and to be able to walk in the spirit, to walk in the spirit, to keep in step with him to be inviting him into our lives, to be paying attention that he is always with us. And there were four R's that she had. I recommend writing these down or take pictures or if you're listening online, you know you can do a screenshot as we go through. Four things that we can do throughout the day. Starts in the morning to remember. Begin the day intentionally reminding yourself And then also through the day and in every situation, remind yourself you are not alone. Jesus' presence through his spirit, through the spirit, dwells in you. In you. Then rejoice. Thank God. Throughout the day as you're recognizing and remembering that he is in you, thank God that his presence is in me and with me and that I have access to his power, his wisdom, and his love in every circumstance and relationship. Request through the day. Pray simply, come Holy Spirit, come. Give me the love I need. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Give me the love I need. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Give me the joy of the Lord to share Jesus with this person. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Give me the words to say in this circumstance. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Spirit, direct, guide me to the people that you are seeking around me. And help me join in. And expect that he'll do that. And lastly, renew. Regularly be renewing I commit to keep in step with the Spirit by opposing my inclination to two things, self-reliance and self-rule, what the Bible calls the flesh. Self-reliance and self-rule. I'm not gonna lean on my own strength. 
I'm gonna invite you in, Spirit. I wanna invite you to continue to guide me and lead me. I'm not gonna live by self-rule. I'm not gonna live by self-reliance. I'm gonna do what you're pointing me to do in Scripture and to follow after you. That's what I'm gonna do. How Joseph experienced resilience and how everybody else around him knew that there was something different about him because the Spirit of God was on him in the pit. And what's amazing is that Jesus lived, died, rose again so that you and I could have that Holy Spirit in us. That's what he came to do. Not to leave us alone, but to inhabit us through his spirit. This morning we're going to be celebrating communion together. And in communion, we remember Jesus, remember his life, we remember his death, remember his sacrifice, remember his resurrection until he comes again. And what I want to ask you to do is to remember that Jesus came. He lived, he died, he rose again so that you and I, when we believe in him, can receive the Holy Spirit into our hearts and be united to him forever. Nothing will be able to separate us from him. If you don't have your communion packet yet, I ask you, why don't you go ahead and grab that right now. And I'm gonna pray for us as we take communion together. Father, thank you for your goodness, your kindness. Thank you for your steadfast love and your mercy. Thank you for, Father, giving us of your spirit to inhabit us, to live in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the strength and the power of your love in us. May we walk in him. Jesus, we want to honor you as the one who did everything we needed that needed to be done so that we could have your spirit in us. You lived, you died, you rose again, and one day you'll come again. Amen. If you take your wafer, there are a couple different packages now. So one's on the bottom, mine's still on top if you have that. Hold it in your hand. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread as he was at a meal with his first followers. And he gave them, he gave thanks for that bread and then he gave the bread to his first followers. And just as they held it in their hands and you hold this in yours, Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat and remember cup. Jesus said, this cup represents my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant. 
But Jesus died for us, rose again for us, so that in the new covenant, God would take up residence in our hearts and bring us home and be with us until we get home. Drink and remember Jesus. If you are able, would you please stand as we sing one more song together?